We're starting the morning off, right? Joey Badass Cruise Control, Monday, 9 a.m. Vivid Nectar Podcast. Low life niggas who ain't got no self control. Been feeling hungry and they just ain't feeding my soul. I had to let go a lot of people that I really don't but did for me, which is in my way. Listen, if you ain't been listening to 2000. I don't know what's wrong with you. Time to fuck up. Every day I meditate cause I'm the one they love to hate. Focus on the bigger picture, trying to find a better way. Cause I ain't finna cut myself short. Money getting longer, but happiness never been bought. We chilling this morning. We're waking up steady. We're moving nice. We're moving nice. Come on, you know, you know this hook a little too, too nice. This hook is too nice with it. With that, hopefully this is mixed better than the last episode, the way we started off. Music's in here now. The mix is gonna get better. Shit, we leveling up, I promise you. Me and my pro ever team focused on the better things. Trying to stack cheddar cream, rule everything. Uh, foot up on the pedaling, never settling. Uh, full steam ahead of them. 10 year veteran. How you figure? Name a nigga that I ain't better than my flow iller. Still is the cure, like medicine, the cop killer. Glock up this out and let him in by pro ever. I swear this shit couldn't be more clever. Shit! Through a whole mirror. I can see the vision, so I live like it's my last day. And everything I want just trying to meet me halfway. I try to stay calm. But niggas trying to blast me The ski mask way Looking for a fast pace So I stay on to the lawn Cause I ain't trying to go the fast way It's a marathon You can't treat it like a drag race oh, What's your name again? And I know you from where? High school From where? High school you, man Man Loser this, this, this joint too icy, man. This just too chill. It's too relaxed. But we got to get hyped up Monday morning, right? Well, with some of us getting up a little bit slow, we got to switch it up. Yay, Kanye West. Famous. that know me best. I feel like famous. Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. I made that bitch famous. For all the girls that got dick from Kanye West. If you see him in the streets, give him Kanye's best. Why? They mad they ain't famous. They mad they still nameless A man in the store trying to try his best But he just can't seem to get Kanye fresh But we still hood famous Yeah, we still hood famous I just wanted you to know I've loved you better than your own candy This was a moment This was a moment when this album dropped, the track list wasn't finished. I remember this being the first track on the album for me. First track. They parade flow in. Yo, if you're Puerto Rican, you heard that shit. Stand the fuck up. If you're driving right now, park that shit in the fucking highway. Stand the fuck up out the car seat. And get your ass back inside, because I don't want you getting hurt. I just caught the jet to fly out of a person who dead. Put one up in the sky. The sun is in my eyes. Woke up and felt the vibe No matter how hard they try We never gonna die I just wanted you to Outro crispy, outro crispy But we're not gonna stay too long We're here at Alexander Roman The eighth wonder of the world The ruler's back, the one and only Vivid Nectar podcast episode 272 And over the past week 
it's been it's been a lot for Frank Ocean. It's been a lot for Frank Ocean fans. We've been going through it together. Maybe maybe a little bit harder for us because Frank Ocean, at the end of the day, you know, he's able to go into his unreleased catalog of music and laugh at us, laugh at the comments, laugh at anything that wasn't in his point of view, and he gonna keep thugging it. Now for us, as much as a mess as it was, as much as our hearts have been torn, as much as we've been tossed to the side. We need to slow down a bit. Listen, I understand Nike's is trash, specifically the first half. For those of y'all out there that are trying to say the inspiration for the way it was pitched, shut up. I, I don't need to hear that it was inspired and that's why it sounds like this. It's still trash, but we still rocking with it, all right? The fact he doesn't drop any music, it's fucking trash. But you know, we still love Channel Orange. We still love Blonde. Me personally, I don't think Blonde's that great. I respect that people think it's amazing body of work, a classic. It's their personality to a certain extent. For me, it's I. It's I. But it's already been a couple days. Let's start slowing down on the Frank Ocean, on the Frank Ocean hate, Frank Ocean slander. All right. Let's slow down a bit. I've been seeing a couple juicy comments, uh, a couple juicy statements over the past week. Niggas talk about, you know what? Frank Ocean has never really been that nice. Whoa, apparently he's never really been that nice. We're starting to get those kind of opinions coming out here. Apparently his music's not that nice. His albums weren't that good. Hey, to be real with y'all, Abel a better artist than Frank Ocean, which I'm, I'm in that camp, you know, I'm in that camp. But I, I didn't have to wait for this to preach about that. I didn't have to wait for Frank, Frank Ocean to drop the ball here with us for me to say the weekend's better. But I've been seeing that conversation popping up a little bit more. I know it stems from being upset, so that's why I'm not, like, cheering for it. I'm not, I'm not behind it all the way. But this whole The weekend being better than Frank Ocean movement, once this mellows down, once y'all stop being so angry and we're a little bit more mellow, let's come back to this conversation because I support that 100%. 100%. I'll put Starboy before Channel Orange and Blonde, anybody away from Frank Ocean. I'll put Starboy in front of it. Smack it right there in front of the album. But with that, some other topics that we're going to be going on from here. We're going to keep talking about Frank for a little bit. Not going to try to rehash everything that's been going on, but we're going to be talking about a little bit about the music with Frank, all right? We're going to be discussing Lil Wayne, the Carter Tour. He's been, he has a pretty crazy set list for the Carter Tour involving some mixtape cuts. And there was a, I was watching New Rory and Mal. Mal had this opinion that a concert set list shouldn't have so many mixtape cuts. And whenever it comes to mixtapes being counted in discographies, it shouldn't really place too much of a, it shouldn't be emphasized too heavily in a discography or even being counted at times. Ridiculous. You know, I want to start doing this trend for us right here. For me and you listening to this, oftentimes we find when it comes to different platforms, they usually... The more often than not, whenever there's something negative or a negative comment, that's whenever we get responses and everything. Every now and then, we're going we're gonna to be trendsetters for this too. Whenever it's just a nice talking point, a nice talking conversation, it don't got to be groundbreaking or viral. We're going to add into it. So this little Wayne talk, a little, little wild. Not, not even a little wild. Fucking ridiculous. Let's say it for what it is. Fucking ridiculous. Going on from there, I know it's been quiet. On the anime, manga side of things on this platform, I will be covering the most recent Baruto chapter in One Piece. Wow, back to back. I know, some of y'all that have been here for that, like, yo, it's about time. 
has been what? 10 chapters for One Piece. I haven't said shit. It's been another, what, Baruto, maybe three chapters. I haven't done anything for the reviews. I got y'all here. And I know for Baruto, I want to do some more in-depth pieces in the future when it comes to that. All right, because right now, again, it's a, it's a beautiful, terrible mess, Baruto overall. It's a beautiful, terrible mess. From there, I want to branch out, discuss Metro Boomin's place as far as greatest producers ever. Which, I don't mind having Metro Boom in that discussion. I, I don't mind it. Y'all, y'all, y'all know me for a bit. Y'all know how I feel who the greatest producer is. This ain't, this ain't nothing crazy. Yay. When we're going to elaborate on Playboy, Cardi, and Yeet. Uh, sometimes when there's a discussion between these two artists, there are people that say, hey, Yeet's better than Playboy, Cardi. And most of us are like, you tweaking. You wild for saying that. You know, there's moments where music is subjective, but at this point, everybody has an opinion. Mine happens to be true. However, I, I want to add more into this conversation aside from you bugging, you wrong, and that's it. So we'll dive into that when we get there. Then I want to I wanna end it off with a conversation about having... I don't know why it's taking me so long to say it like, uh, <laughs> well, recently with the podcast, we've been doing a little bit more mu- music and anime and I'm a fan of, I will say I'm a fan now because I watch, I try to watch every episode, Waving the Red Flag. It's a podcast, talk about dating space, manosphere related topics. I don't make it my personality. Don't worry. I don't make it my personality out here. But there was a talking point as far as men being responsible for kids even if they don't want them or consent to the idea of a kid so when we get there we get there and then i want to talk a bit a little bit about male birth control i know a bit random <laughs> oh male birth control all right there's some new stuff nah nah nothing too crazy but you know we got to branch out a bit there's plenty of stuff i love to discuss aside from just music 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 but music is my love rap is my love so with that let's get started away so the whole entire discussion with frank ocean and his music in comparisons to The weekend has always been something that for me isn't, it isn't too far. I, I would like to say if you're a fan of both, you can understand that it, it isn't disrespectful. I, I would say it isn't disrespectful to compare the artists, not like music one for one, but to, you know, usually when we think of who are the best at their craft or what they do, Frank Ocean and The weekend. My biggest reason why I prefer Abel to Frank Ocean is the one, and, the one and only, the most obvious reason. The music output is fucking phenomenal for Abel. Since 2011 till now, we've been getting fed. I think the biggest gap was potentially, I want to say from 2011. I don't know, 2011, we got three mixtapes. Then eventually Trilogy. From there, we got Kissland which released in 2013, Beauty Behind the Man is 2015, Starboy in 2016. Let's highlight that real quick. Let's appreciate that Abel was able to drop Beauty Behind the Madness in 2015 and then drop Starboy in 2016. Crazy evolution, transition, and the music, complete almost 180, almost 180. You could see some of the evolutions from Beauty Behind the Madness going into Starboy. But now looking back on that, that was like within a year of each other. There really hasn't been a long wait between albums, aside from maybe Starboy, My Beautiful Melancholy, 
to After Hours. I think three years the most we waited for more for new Able music, right? Frank, <laughs> to be frank with y'all, we've been waiting too fucking long. But that's all right. So of course, music output to me is the most the most reasonable reason for me. Hey, I'm taking Able all day, every day. I also find that whenever it comes to songs that when when we talk about hits, straight up, whenever we talk about hits, because when it comes to the conversation around hits, there are times where we like to dismiss it just because all oh, hits mainstream. Now, I appreciate, I appreciate crazy music that everybody loves. I appreciate the hits. Obviously, The weekend running laps around Frank Ocean. But when it comes time for the deep cuts, when it comes time for the music that transcends you from reality into the world they create, I find that Abel has more songs that are able to do that a larger amount and I believe to have greater highs than Frank Ocean as well. Greater quality of music. And, to, and for me, Frank Ocean is already an outstanding artist. So for me, for Able to be able to exceed his highs, fucking ridiculous. I love it. I, I love it. Being an Able fan is the greatest thing in the world right now. So I just wanted to add this to the discussion of Frank Ocean versus The Weeknd. Notice how throughout this, this conversation between me and you about how I feel about The Weeknd and how I feel about Frank Ocean, I didn't have to belittle one another. I didn't have to say Frank Ocean is trash compared to The Weeknd. I'm, I'm able to appreciate what they're both able to do because they both make incredible bodies of work and release phenomenal, phenomenal music. More, one, uh, a large, like 50 times more than the other. At least on this platform. When y'all talking to me, whether you DM me, unless you're saying like some trash artist, unless you talk about some trash artist that they really trash, don't, don't come here saying, yeah, but he's trash compared to us. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Neither Frank Ocean or The Weeknd, vice versa, are trash compared to the other one. A bit redundant here, but going on to the next topic. Lil Wayne recently has been going on a tour with an insane set list. Uh, a pretty ridiculous set list covering some of his, you know, some of his hits and some mixtape cuts. And while I was watching a segment from New Rory and Mal, Mal was discussing because he went to the show. Lucky guy, Mal, if you're watching this, you hear this. Lucky guy, you got to see Lil Wayne. Rory and them did too that he didn't appreciate or enjoy the fact that Lil Wayne had so many mixtape cuts in his set list. Any show that you perform, I don't feel like you should rely on mixtape songs to perform that heavily. No, that just, speaks, that just speaks to his mixtapes being such a huge part of his career. No, you can have... I'm not saying you can't perform any of your mixtape cuts. Mm. I'm saying that you shouldn't rely heavily. Which... I'll make sure to add that audio here. That way you can hear it from him and I'm not just like rehashing what he's saying. Man, twisting it. But I got a big problem with that. I got a big problem with that statement. It bothers me. It's making my skin itch. Why, why is it a problem that Lil Wayne, a rapper who's known to have phenomenal songs, phenomenal mixtapes, phenomenal mixtape cuts, why is it a problem that his set list has mixtape songs. Why is that an issue? Or it has a large amount of mixtape cuts. The fact that Lil Wayne has a catalog and a discography from both albums and mixtapes to where people want to hear his mixtape cuts, out of this world, out of this world, that's goblin energy before, you know, before Kodak 
to talk about goblins. Wayne was saying he was a goblin. Just know that. Just know that. For those of you that, that, that ain't too heavy into Lil Wayne, just know that. And Lil Wayne was able, not many rappers can do this. Not many rappers can make their fan base love their mixtapes just because, you know, sometimes there could be a drop in quality. But for Wayne, there were moments where, shit, you might just prefer the tape compared to the album, which is amazing. Something that you, you want to see in a rapper. You want to see a rapper, whether it's an album, in quotes, because, you know, there, there is a big difference between mixtapes and albums, especially right now, seeing as how everybody wants to stream, wants to get money. They're not able to do that with sample issues on mixtapes. So mixtapes nowadays just feel like downgraded albums at times. Anyhow, the fact that Lil Wayne was able to do that with mixtapes and his fans are able to eat off his tour with this. And be able to appreciate deep cuts with some of the hits from both albums and mixtapes. Mal, you bugging. You tweaking. There's no such thing as there's too many cuts from his mixtapes. If you a super casual fan, like a mainstream fan of Lil Wayne, and you don't know his mixtape cuts, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to shit on you. But get the fuck out. What you there for? <laughs> what you there for? Let me, let me slow down. But real fans that are invested appreciate it. And maybe, Mal, you're just not a real fan, and that's okay. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know every Lil Wayne mixtape. I'm not going to lie to y'all. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I know every single damn mixtape cut, so clearly he out of the loop. No. For me, me personally, if a rapper is willing to do that in a concert and give a hell of a performance, We applaud that. We applaud it. And then from there, from the set list argument, which is already ridiculous. Whenever there was a conversation between Lil Wayne versus Jay-Z, who's the better rapper and comparing discographies, Mal strikes again with a terrible Lil Wayne take that I can't let, I I can't allow this to continue to exist without me speaking on it. Because this, this could be something that might be talked about whenever it comes to discography conversation with somebody else. Who knows? But that you cannot, com- you cannot add in an- a rapper's mixtapes into discography. You got to go album for album. That kind of argument. Something Mal spoke about with Jay-Z and Lil Wayne. You can't do that. You can't dismiss a rapper's mixtapes into discography because they're not albums. It's a project. It's a body of music. It needs to be in the discography. It needs to be considered. And if somebody wants to sit here and say, I prefer no ceilings over the blueprint, it's valid. It's valid. You, uh, you know, you might not agree with it, but you can't sit here and say, well, that's a mixtape. That don't count. What do you mean it don't count? The fact that a mixtape is even able to be in that conversation for somebody, it's raw. It's dope. It, it goes to show you just how pivotal Lil Wayne is. How pivotal his bodies of work are. Because when it comes to these conversations, like, damn, you're bringing up nothing but Wayne mixtapes against some of these rappers. Know that. Know that Lil Wayne performing mixtape cuts in his set list in a decent amount. Hell yeah. The fact that his mixtapes get discussed in discography comparisons. You know, double it and give it to the next person. (laughs) Give it to the next person. Now, I actually wish more artists, more rappers specifically, big rappers. And by big rappers, I'm talking about Drake. I'm talking to you, Aubrey. 
We need deeper cuts in these set lists. So 21 Savage and Drake going on a bit of a tangent here. Tour. They announce a tour. They're going to be touring across America. I will not be buying tickets. As much as I would love to see Drake live, I understand one thing about Drake when it comes to these tours. He has a poor taste in set lists. It's trash. For whatever reason, he decides, whenever, whenever it comes to more of these personal, smaller venues, he shows out with the curation at, at times. At times. Playing jungle, starting off with Over My Dead Body. That's like, that's like a dream for me. I would love to hear that. But whenever it comes to these big arena tours, we don't get those deep cuts. I'm not going to pay seats to listen to God's plan. Way too sexy. I ain't trying to hear Tootsie Sly at a Drake concert. I don't care how big the songs are. I ain't paying money to listen to that shit. So I, I think Drake should definitely take more inspiration from Wayne. Now, Drake doesn't have an extensive catalog of mixtapes or deep mixtape cuts, but I would appreciate if he eliminated a lot of the mainstream fluff and brought in some of the more deeper cuts in his albums. Things that you're not trying to appease your entire mainstream Drake audience. You got a lot of hardcore fans that have been listening to you since, what, 2009? No, 2010 when Thank Me Later dropped. I'm not going to sit here and say before Thank Me Later. Like, he didn't, you know, there's some people that have. I'm not, not going to dismiss y'all. But I would say a majority started with Thank Me Later. Boy, I take that back so far gone in 2009, right? 2009? With that. I'm not trying to see Drake perform his biggest songs full of fluff and then to top it off, make us sing it. That's something I can't stand at times. You guys heard me rant about it too. When a rapper decides to let the audience sing the song, I ain't paying money to hear y'all rap it. You sing it. I want to hear it from the main guy. I want to hear it from the guy that did it, that rapped it. Not this nigga two rolls down. And that's not even the worst part from the live performances I've seen of Drake. He loves to lip sync at certain times. I can't stand that, especially because what we paying the money for. At times he uses the backdrop vocals, not only that, but his voice live isn't the best. It doesn't have that 40 magic like we do with the studio versions. Let's get that out the way. It doesn't, and sometimes that roughness could, could pan out for the better. We've seen it with Feel No Ways when he performed it at the Tyler, the Creator concert that everybody booed him at. When he was performing Feel No Ways, I'm like, damn, I would appreciate like a live version of this. I actually fuck with it. But unfortunately, a lot, for most of the tracks that he performs live, they don't sound the greatest. <laughs> they don't sound the greatest live. So a mix from a poor, from Drake, just choosing some of the, I wouldn't want to say whack, but if I'm paying money for a concert for Drake to perform tracks like God's Plans, way too sexy and not enough of his deep cuts, for him to sort of at times lip sync, for him not to sound the best when he does perform live, and for it to be such a big arena, and for what I feel Drake at times having little stage presence, it's not worth it for me. So Drake takes take, take some inspiration from Wayne with the way he's curating stuff, the way he's curating his music, the way he's been treating his tour recently. And I might reconsider in the future, all right? I might reconsider. With that, 
We're going to transition into the manga aspect of this podcast. Baruto, y'all already know. Baruto chapter 80 is the final chapter before the time skip it looks like. And to summarize it, this is the after effects of what happened in 79. Kawaki flipping the switch, flipping the switch, unlocking a hidden ability with Ada to where everybody in the world has been hypnotized. They've had their memories altered to where Baruto and Kawaki's lives have flipped. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and rant about how it was poorly done. I'll save that for another episode. But for chapter 80, we still got a bit of issues. A lot of the tension and anticipation for the interactions in Baruto, this chapter, felt a bit flat. Like the fact that we're going to have people like Sasuke potentially view Baruto as an enemy. I would have loved a small interaction, maybe a bit of a back and forth between him and Buroshiki. But instead, immediately, we get Sasuke, even though his memory's been altered, we have Sasuke hearing the explanation from his daughter, Sarada, and then immediately, hey, I don't, I myself have this memory of you, but I'm gonna trust my daughter. I'm gonna help you out. Plus the headband, you know, the headband I gave the fact that you have it means something's going on to summarize it, which I, I don't I don't really mind this. But the fact that there wasn't like any kind of conflict, that the tension just relatively just dissipated right away. It just leaves a lot on the table. It felt like I didn't even really get to eat an appetizer. It's like, hey, you sat at the restaurant. You ordered your appetizer, you ordered your entree, and instead they just gave you a half eaten dessert. But it's like, well, where's the where's the entire meal? Where's the entire setup? You know, when you're eating the appetizer, then you're excited for your entree. You leave a little bit of space in your stomach. You're like, yo, I can't wait to bust down the dessert. And then when the dessert comes, it's half eaten. You've already gone to the final stage of the dinner unsatisfied. So I didn't like that there wasn't much tension. There wasn't much conflict. There wasn't any like adrenaline in this chapter when it came to Sasuke and Baruto. It was more or less of like, hey, listen, I believe my daughter, your headband. Let's go. It just went by way too quick. And there's a lot of over explanation in this chapter. We, as the reader, understand what's going on. But the fact that we have to hear Sarada repeat this to, I forgot her friend's name. But the fact that we have to hear it from Sarada again, and the fact that it extends a couple pages, it just feels redundant at this point. One thing that Baruto has always suffered is whenever information is relayed to us from the characters we read, we have to sit here and watch other characters discuss the same exact thing. It can't even be spoken about off screen. It needs to be repeated on screen for us to really know, like, hey, we just want you to make sure that they really had a conversation about it. It's like, no, no, that's fine. Like, we, we trust you. We've seen it, so we don't need them to rehash it. This is where, real quick, something that One Piece does wonderfully is how Oda is able to handle off screen conversations or fights and end them in a way to where we understand what occurred, what was potentially discussed, and this is the outcome. Let's keep progressing the story. These are moments where things just fall into a halt. It slows down the story, and again, any bit of excitement that we've been waiting for is just sort of like, ah, we got to drag it out. We got to drag it out a little bit. We still got to wait. Now, Sarada unlocking the Mangekio shotting gun. I'm not too... I'm not too angered by it. I'm really not too angered by it. It's important to remember with the Sharingan and Mangekyo Sharingan, 
it isn't necessarily trauma. Well, I'll put it like this. It isn't necessarily negative trauma to where they need to witness something terrible in front of them. They need to have a loved one lost, dead, murdered, sliced up right in front of them for in order to unlock the Mengekyo. There just has to be a strong emotion of love. Love with whatever traumatic experience, life-altering experience they're going through right now. And Sarada, over the past couple chapters, from having to basically befriend this super, uh, Ada, I was going to say a super cyborg, but I don't know, I lost my turn. Having to sort of befriend Ada, mentally prepare herself to, for, to fake a friendship, to basically two godlike characters being your friends, having this beef, one of your closest friends dying and coming back to life. And then, Within the span of like less than a week, reality just warped to where everybody wants to kill your friend and your father wants, wants to kill him. I could see why that would trigger the response, the emotion, and the circumstances necessary for Sarada to unlock the Mangekyo. I'm not going to shit on it too hard. I've seen a lot of talk saying this is the worst way possible. I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense what's been established over the past couple chapters. Not to forget, she's also a kid. All right? She's also a kid in an environment where we have godlike deities in constant conversations and in constant fights. As much as at times we understand Ishinobis, they have to mature quick. They have to deal with real life situations, war, murder. But at the same time, she's still just a kid dealing with gods. I couldn't, I couldn't really imagine how Sasuke would deal, young Sasuke and young Naruto. And honestly, part one characters deal with godlike beings. I know to us, this seems just like, oh, well, we already know them. We've already established. We've already been through Shippuden. But for them, this is something that's just, <laughs> I would like to say life altering almost every single time. My only problem, honestly, with the Mangekyo Sharingan, Sarada's. And it really ain't the design either. I think the design is okay. I give it a solid like five out of 10. It's just average. It's just all right. Is that she's still wearing glasses. <laughs> she's still wearing glasses. And it's just like, all right, we, we, are, we up another level. The glasses are still here. I don't, I don't know. Is her vision that bad? Is this just strictly a character design choice? Again, there's a, a lot of panels between Sasuke and Baruto that I wouldn't say could be skipped so easily, but I would have I would have enjoyed it being shortened up a bit. Seeing Momoshiki sort of rant off against Baruto abruptly losing his cool makes me think that whatever he's seen in his future is being rewritten at this pivotal point. Because he was overly confident in the way the future was going to go with him losing his eyes, the way his life was going to be altered. But the fact that we're in this position where Sasuke is going to help Boruto, Sarada knows the truth. And Momoshiki is just acting very, very out of the loop. Something significant happened here, whether it's Sarada convincing Sasuke maybe that didn't happen in the future that he saw maybe it was Ada coming in here as well that just definitely just sidetracked everything even more like the fact that she's like hey I I know that apologies won't cut it but I'm still sorry Baruto I'm gonna try to help out on my end I didn't know Kawaki was gonna you know trigger what he did trigger is 
it's something to take note of. I just want to say it's something to take note of. And overall, this chapter right before the time skip, it, it easily could have been a lot better. It didn't really feel like no tension. It, it felt like a chapter of, hey, let's just explain what's going on. Let's sort of wrap it up and get to the time skip, which honestly, I, I don't mind at all. I believe it's uh, believe Baruto is going to be on break till September. I would love from this point going forward, whenever it comes to reintroducing Baruto, reintroducing the series, for there to be a solid blueprint, for there to be a solid written structure to how it's going to be handled post time skip, especially when it comes to the pacing, especially when it comes to the power scaling, especially when it comes to the future, how we're going to wrap this up, just because there's a lot to be desired in Boruto. There's a lot to be desired in this entire world. And we also, we, we, need to, we need to shake off a lot of the cast. That's something that Shippuden suffered of, a large cast that isn't fleshed out. And honestly, we really don't need that many people in here. Most of Baruto's friends, I'm okay with them not being involved at all. Which for some of you, it might be, it might be like, hey man, we want to see them fleshed out at least. It, it's, it's been proven, whether it's the second half of Naruto or Baruto, that side characters are just not handled well. So instead of wasting time and energy on them just running in the background... Let's just make sure they're not really a pivotal point of the story. But overall, I'm really excited, man. I'm excited as much as I have a gripe with this. Um, the fact that it's committed to, all right, it's going to stay this way. It's not going to be solved in like a whole entire chapter of, hey, guys, let's convince everybody now. Now that we found out it's straight, it's all right. Very underwhelming, but I can't wait for the future because I'm just, I've been invested in this since I was eight years old. With that, One Piece chapter 1081. One Piece chapter 1081 is just a complete mind bender, is a blockbuster of a chapter. This is a chapter that by itself, just by itself was just ridiculous. We finally get to see not only how Aokiji got recruited into the Blackbeard Pirates, not only did we get to see him more fleshed out as a character, his personality, not only did we get some additional information as far as the outcome of him and Aokinu, but the fact that we see him and Garp throwing hands, throwing hands. The fact that we do see multiple moves, the way he just is, is so, so menacing. Aokiji's presence, even though he isn't necessarily a villain, is just so menacing. The way you always see somebody freeze before you see him is something like a horror movie. It, it, it was a banger of an episode. Dog. Like this, this, this shit was really crazy. So. The fact that Garp lets us know this chapter that this is it. This is all I could do. Well, I, I guess I'm pretty weak. I'm not as strong as I used to be. He's an old man. Of course, I love that Oda is establishing the fact that as crazy strong as Garp is and how ridiculously overpowered he looks, this isn't even close to his prime, which should, I, I think should be understood by this point. We've seen it done with Whitebeard. We've seen him explain it with Rayleigh. He's doing it again with Garp. And 1080 ending with Garp doing that large hockey punch but then once we actually get the full scope even though it's immense especially at the distance garb through that punch it definitely isn't as like island defining at least for me as i envision uh, uh as i initially thought of it wasn't as like groundbreaking i was like oh okay it's still it's on a minor scale not the whole island with that garb wanting 
to, of course, save Kobe, but running into Aokiji. And then Garp telling him like, hey, man, let's handle Kobe. Just hand Kobe over. Let's get this done. Stop, stop doing whatever you're doing. You lost your way. Aokiji to be like, nah, I know what I want. And I also know that, you know, my, my new homie, my brother Teach, I ain't really trying to disappoint him because whatever Aokiji has planned, which, of course, we don't have much information as far as what his overall goal is, but we do get it established this chap- chapter that the Ohara incident is something that still haunts him and he takes pride in saving Robin. He takes pride in being a protector of her at the moment and being someone that he still thinks of to this day. So real quick, I would like to say it's safe to assume that one of the, one of the uh, goals or constant re- thing, something that influences him and pushes him to be where he is right now is the safety of Robin. That much we could definitely say. But the fact that he has his own goal, he has his own ties with Blackbeard, he's at his, his own plan, and he's not willing to waver in front of Garp, that's that man, that's him, that's that boy. That's that boy, he's ice cold, he's frosty with it, he's frosty. We get a back and forth between Garp and Aokiji. I love the way how he freezes Garp, the hockey blasts through. All right, Garp, we, we got some fight, we got some energy. And then he punches Aokiji down with that one. I forgot the name of the fist, but the, how the, the force, the way it's drawn, love it. And the dynamic between Aokiji and Garp so far, whenever we hear Aokiji saying you have to decide between which one you want to lose? Which proto-J do you want to lose? Me or Kobe? I wouldn't say this was a statement of foreshadowing, but this is clearly going to paint that only one of them have to be chosen. At least in, uh, in um, Aokiji's point of view, Kuzan's point of view, that one of them have to go down. And it looks like Garp, with his sense of justice, understanding that he's old, this is the part where we start going into theories. I believe Garp is going to get to a state in this fight where he knows it's not, it's not going to be good for the crew. Everything can, can go downhill real quick. I believe this fight is going to go to a stage of where Garp isn't going to be able to save Kobe and he's not going to be able to beat Aokiji. So he's going to have to sacrifice himself. And this would be great symbolism. The new hero of the Marines, Kobe, being saved by the old veteran, by the older hero of the Marines, Garb. Garb sacrificing himself for the new generation. The new generation constantly being a trend in one piece to not only be bringing a new era, not only being stronger at times, or at least because, you know, all the veterans are getting older, to be stronger, but for them to pave the way, the old generation, they got to go. I could definitely see Garp knowing that he's outskilled, outpowered, doesn't have the energy, sacrificing himself for Kobe's safety. Aokainu, Aokainu, <laughs> Aokiji is going to end up capturing Garp and that's going to be the bargaining chip. And then this is going to be wild. Blackbeard's going to come back like, all right, everything's good. No, wait, we got Garp instead of Kobe. We're running this shit back the same way they did Marine 4. We're going to flip it on them. It's going to be a pirate assassination. Theory time again. We're going for a pirate assassination. I mean, pirate assassination. Marine assassination. The same way the Marines did Ace, 
We're going to see that, but with Garp. We're going to get the pirates lined up and say, hey, we got the hero of the Marines right here. We got the OG, the man that was fighting Roger. We talk about one of the strongest pirates ever. The guy that was equal to him, we got him. We're going to slice him up too. Sloofy going to go and save his grandfather? Hey, this is just theories for now. And to finish it off, I love that we got an extensive look on the interaction between Aokiji and the Blackbeard Pirates. <laughs> Aokiji being at a bar, being drunk, having a little bit of conflict with the Blackbeard Pirates, freezing them all, and Blackbeard just showing up like, what the hell? Why are y'all frozen? What's going on here? There's only one guy I know. Going into the bar and seeing as how it felt like there was going to be conflict. Like, hey, we were there about to throw hands. Gets a little off-screen conversation and it leads up to them just having a drunk conversation. Aokiji... Joking about the fact that, hey, I lost my leg against Aokainu in Punk Hazard. So he has, constantly has to like make an ice leg. The fact that they talk about red, the bread poneglyph that they need. They establish about the two they already know on. And then the one poneglyph that they're still trying to find. And they're looking for a man with the burn scars. Aokiji making a joke. Oda, Oda, you, you listen and you watch the theories. We appreciate that. Aokiji making the jokes. And then also the occurrence of any time someone gets close to this black ship that could potentially have this red poneglyph, whirlpools appear. This could lead towards dragon. It could lead to a new character. Who knows? And then ultimately, they, they just seem to be having a grand drunk time together. Um, Aokiji being someone of humor, which is nice to get at this part of One Piece, especially the final saga, as serious as it is. We love the humorous parts of One Piece, the more adventurous, lighthearted moments Aokiji keeping that up and Blackbeard too as as violent as Blackbeard could be as batshit crazy as a pirate he is I love when Blackbeard gets in his drunk funny bag and his hey I'm still a pirate at the end of the day I could wipe anybody out but understand that here understand that right now we having a good time and one thing that we've seen with Blackbeard is whenever it comes to piracy whenever it comes to the dreams of a pirate the ambition the morality behind it the way you handle the cruise, just following your dreams. Blackbeard's right there with Luffy. They're the yin and yang opposite. Where Luffy values his friendships. Where Luffy values his friendships. Blackbeard values the end goal. The end goal for the pirates is what brings them together. The goal. That's why we band up. Luffy, even though they do have a goal, it's the camaraderie and the friendship. For Blackbeard, just like Zebek, it's the end goal. Which this is definitely going to foreshadow either the downfall of the Blackbeard Pirates or just how far they're willing to go together for this goal, which I would like to assume it's the One Piece, right? Right? So that's a nice difference between Blackbeard and Luffy. And then for Blackbeard to give this speech and to let Aokiji know, like, hey, you ain't, you ain't bound to the Marines rules no more. You got some fire in you still. Whatever you going, whatever you got going on in your head, join me. I'll make sure. But we'll make sure that the goal I'm after, it's going to compliment you. That's, that's the way I perceive this chapter. I'm not trying to rehash. Like I've done in the past a bit, reading these quotes, and I'm, trying, I'm throwing in my flavor. Hell of a chapter, One Piece, chapter 1081. But that's not it. We officially get the confirmation that Law got defeated by Blackbeard. Not a surprise, of course. Um, a little bit different from Kid, who got slaughtered. Law put up a bit of a fight, then got slaughtered. We got Beppo eating a rumble ball that turned him into a long form, escaping, which was, it didn't feel like a ridiculous cop-out. Because I was thinking about that too. If Law survived, how is he going to, 
how is he going to escape? I just don't see a situation where it won't feel like just a bit of an ass pull. But with this, the rumble ball chopper, it makes sense. I could buy into this, Oda. I could buy into this escape because when you got somebody as strong as Blackbeard, it's a little bit hard seeing reasonable escape routes when you got a monster like Blackbeard just right in front of you. That's the end for right now. One Piece chapter 1081. Break next week, but with that, you know, we be back at it. For here. For here. Waving a red flag, dating, dating social commentary, Manosphere podcast. Uh, really enjoyed them. This doesn't go into the toxic, stupid, uh, stupid, clout-driven red pill manosphere that at times we could see with the likes of just pearly, just pearly things, fresh and fit. No, it's a band of guys, Eddie. Alvin, I forgot the name of the other guy, but you know, they just have genuine conversations. It isn't too far right or left, or they try super hard to be right in the middle when it comes to any political ideals or things like that in this space. But it's just, it just feels like a genuine, like a genuine conversation about topics regarding to dating, regarding, regarding fatherhood, regarding things within that scope. But it was this one conversation. I believe it was Alvin. I believe it was Alvin. I'll, I'll, edit, I'll edit it on here. I'll edit the voice, the voices. That way we could get some context. But overall, if there's two consenting adults, obviously to sex, right? The, the, argument, the argument I believe Alvin was saying is if the man is telling the girl that he does not consent to having a kid or wanting a kid, that and they, they're in agreement of that, and they have sex with a condom or without a condom or without any contraceptive, that the man, you know, you, you shouldn't hold him to that. Once again, like, this, this is one of those areas where I see, like, a lot of nuance. I'm very gray on it. Like, I'm, mm, I'm, I'm not quite sure in which way I lean because a man who don't, I believe a man who don't take care of his kids, a bit of a deadbeat. But I also can understand there's a situation where a man does communicate before the even before like even sex happens. So hey, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want children. Children is not in my plan right now, and we both consent to lay down with a condom or without contraception. If we both consent to that and mm-hmm. the risk of that, and we both consent, like there's liability on both parties. And just mm-hmm. like a woman can say, hey, it is my body, it's my choice. I'm gonna have, the, I'm gonna go through with this baby. I'm gonna go through with this child. Or not. In this if you want to have the kid and she's like, yeah. I'm not or doing not. that. Yeah. Yeah, because like as a man, stupid, like stupid. you legit you you can't. Like, and I know a lot of red pill mm. niggas use this ideology, but that's truth. A nigga cannot in a state where she where uh, abortions are actually um available mm. and a woman can just do that. A dude cannot come between her legally come between legally, her legally, and that yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Without violating some law of like kidnap, blah, 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 blah. Sure. But so it's there's got to be like some some leeway or compromise in the other direction, and I guess that's where like the whole financial abortion things come from, because yeah. once again, hey, I'm not I'm not consenting to a child, just like you have the right to not consent to having one and bearing one, incubating one, producing one, delivering one. Yeah, and I w- that the man you know he said he didn't want a kid. The female decided to still have sex with him, so you shouldn't hold him to be responsible for the kid. I. Disagree completely. I disagree completely. And I'll say this anytime 
Two people, anytime, and a man or woman are consenting to sex. If there are no contraceptives and the man says, hey, regardless, I'm letting you know right now, I don't want a kid. So if you get a pregnant, I'm not going to be responsible. It's bullshit. As a man, if you're engaging in sexual activity with a female without any contraceptive, and you know the risk associated with that, and you still do it, you're responsible for the fucking kid if the female wants it or not. That's how I see it. Because I don't know, I don't know why we got, I don't know why we got men out here that for whatever reason don't understand that you don't need to nut to get a girl pregnant. Pre comes a bitch. Nutting sucks if you if you're not good at pulling out. So the fact that there's men out here that feel that they can have sex with a girl without protection, without birth control. And, they, and them saying, hey, I don't want a kid. So if you get pregnant, that should be enough. I'm not going to be in that kid's life. You a deadbeat. You a bum. You're a piece of shit. And that's how I'm going to view any man that has a kid that engages in these acts and doesn't want to be responsible for it. You should have stayed celibate, which is crazy for some people to hear like, whoa, you're telling you're telling grown men that they shouldn't have sex. That way they don't have to be responsible for a kid. Who, do, who the fuck do you think you are? I'm him. I'm him. I'm Alexander. But more importantly, yeah, it's immature. It's reckless and it's stupid because as a man to 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 any guys watching this right now, y'all might disagree. You're stupid. Anytime you're having sex with a chick. Especially if there's no contraceptive so far, because that's what I'm saying. No condoms, no nothing. You're having sex, but you're trying to tell her, I don't want no kid. I'm not going to be in charge of a kid. You're responsible for that shit because you should know better. You don't want to risk a kid. You don't want to risk being responsible for a kid. Hey, you got two hands. Do something with them. It's risk free. Risk free. That's how I view that. Definitely completely disagree with that notion. Fuck out of here. Hey. I don't agree to raising a kid, but I'm still have sex with you and I'm going to abandon you and let you raise the kid alone. Continuing this cycle of boys and girls living without their fathers, causing further trauma, causing, you know, causing this shit to continue on. It's fucking bullshit, dog. Now. The argument for. All right. What if two consenting adults have sex? Birth control. Condom being used. Birth control. And you have this conversation of, hey, I don't want to be responsible for the kid if you end up getting pregnant. You understand I'm wearing a condom. I understand you're on the pill. I don't want a kid out of this. I don't want to be responsible for one. I feel this part of the conversation is a bit tricky because ultimately, somehow, God forbid, (laughs) the condom fails. The birth control is 99% rate. <laughs> well, if we go into the 1% with a 1% rate that actually doesn't work. All right. Let's just say, for example, shit, that sperm, an Olympic champion. That man has been swimming his whole life. Maximum is a super soldier breaching through, getting to that egg. You ain't never seen a sperm cell like this in your life. That sperm golden. Gets the girl pregnant. Now, I say this is tricky because, I, as a, you know, the man and the female. The man did his part with a contraceptive. The girl did her part with birth control. But, but now the man's saying, hey, I still don't want to be involved. You knew the deal. I don't want the kid. You agreed to it. I'm not going to be responsible for it. I'm not going to shame 
the man too hard. Like the man in this situation, I'm not going to shit on him completely because he tried to do everything in his part to not have a kid. I'm not going to say that you're stupid, but if you did go through every path possible to not have a kid. But unfortunately, unfortunately, should the girl want to keep it, you got a decision to make. Do you want to be a deadbeat? Even if you took the necessary steps. Or are, are you, are you going to step up to the unfortunate consequences? Now, I know for some of y'all hearing this, it's like, shit, it's, it's, a, it's technically if the guy doesn't want it, it's a lose-lose. <laughs> well, duh. No shit. And an, um, an argument that Eddie and Alvin discuss on this is a lot of people, for the most part, have sex for pleasure. Just true. There are, unfortunately, undesirable outcomes that you got to deal with. That you do got to deal with. It isn't fun. It sucks. It could, for, so for some people, it's a blessing. For some people, it's an unfortunate, you know, they, they, they didn't pan out for this. But one thing I could confidently say is if you're not using no contraceptive whatsoever as a man and you don't want a kid, you 100% are asking for a kid. Unless you have an issue where you produce no sperm and you, you're having sex raw, you a bum for not expecting to have a kid out of that and then not wanting to be responsible. Now, for the guys that are doing everything in your power, do not get the girl pregnant. And, you know, even she, you know, hey, I want you, you saying I, that by you having sex raw with her, y'all consenting to the sex that, hey, if you get pregnant, I'm not going to be responsible. Unfortunately, the reality is that, that that's not going to hold up. Now, to add, I feel an additional part of this conversation that I felt didn't really get discussed on waving the red flag was, all right, let's say, for the contraceptive route, how is it going to be handled as far as the discussion of having the kid or an abortion? Because I, I, I find that a lot of the conversation online, online, I want to say that online, is that a man has no voice when it comes to pregnancy, when it comes to abortions. That it's, and a man has no voice. Solely the female, solely the woman. I would like to say that kind of view are for people in unhealthy relationships or in an immature mindset. Because the way I view it. The way I feel it's healthy and mature is the man has a voice when it comes to a pregnancy, when it comes to abortion discussions. The man has a voice. It is very important to man to, for a man to have a voice with the female because ultimately this could potentially be the dad, the father for the rest of the life. However, however, the choice is up to the female. I think that's an important thing to know here. A man does have a voice in regards to pregnancy and abortions. He has a voice. The final decision is up to the female. And for us guys right now, for us, unfortunately, that's the truth. There's probably been some men out there that really wanted a kid, but the girl said nope and did her thing. It probably hurt them, but 
It's her choice. And there's probably some other men that's just like, hey, I didn't want a kid and you're still pushing to have it. Well, unfortunately, buddy, she has the final say. She does. So I overall, this these situations that us men, you know, when we get put in these situations, like, damn, it almost sounds like a lose-lose. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is important to, you know, stay strapped up. When it comes to your partner, really trust them a bit. I'm not going to sit here and say you need to, you need to have a checklist with you with every female about, all right, your birth control? Well, what about this? How do you feel about pulling out? You know, there's, something, there's certain things that just happen. But if you're going reckless, crazy, no protection, no nothing, no discussions about this, and you don't want to be a dad, you're stupid. You a deadbeat if you're not responsible for the kid. Fuck the, oh, well, we agreed and it was consensual sex. I didn't want to be the father, so I shouldn't raise it so, because I said so. You shouldn't have acted. Then you damn right, you should have been celibate. You shouldn't have been having sex. Again, left and right hand. And unfortunately, even if you follow and did everything the best you can and got an undesirable outcome, that's where, that's where you got to step up. That's where we rise and shine to be the leaders that we got to be. And to end this episode off, Playboy Cardi, yeet. Who's the better artist? Who's the better artist? There are discussions, of course, I already said it earlier, between Yeet and Playboy Cardi as far as discographies, who's the better artist, so on and so forth, better highs. I believe Playboy Cardi takes almost every single point, every single moment as far as artistic highs, as far as playability in music, as far as diversity, discography, features, verses, Candice, Playboy Cardi all the way, except for one very, very crucial part. That is music output, that is music output and consistency. One thing that I could see Yeet being a better artist than compared to Playboy Cardi is the consistency in his style and the little bits of evolution in the past couple of years. It isn't a drastic change like we've seen with Playboy Cardi. And I could respect why somebody appreciates and enjoys that and puts that over someone like Playboy Cardi where almost every project is a whole different phase of him, whole different style. He is just more of a slow, consistent evolution with multiple projects releasing in a year. I could see for somebody that valued those two things, why they have Yeet as a better artist that Playboy Cardi or more favorable. Because, you know, I would say more favorable is we generally believe Yeet is a better artist than Playboy Cardi. I'm not going to try to sit here and play it safe. Stop it. No, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that here. You're tweaking. You really mean that? You're really going to sit here in front of my face and say, he is a better artist than Playboy Cardi. Look at me. You're wrong. Stop. I'm not going to sit here and respect your opinion. And say, you know what? That's your opinion. You know, you know, like I said earlier, everybody has an opinion. Mine happens to be true. You bugging. And even though I said I was going to end it with this discussion, we got one more for you. Metro Boomin, Boomin, the greatest producer of all time. Y'all know me. I believe that's for yay. For some people right now, they believe that's the alchemist. With the runs he's had these past couple years. For others, Mad Lib, so on and so forth. For me, it's yay. But I could respect someone that views Metro Boomin as the greatest producer of all time. I could respect it, really. 
when it comes to just projects he's produced by himself, like the fact that After Hours is a Metro Boomin produced album. Mind blowing. Ghostface. <laughs> Ghostface Killers. Without warning. Great. What a time to be alive. I, I find it to be extraordinary. Definitely has aged better than I initially thought when it dropped back in 2015. 2015. Now for some of the hits that Metro Boomin has produced, because over here on the Vivid Nectar podcast, something I appreciate, I like to show love to the hits. Whenever it comes time for these hip hop discussions and some of the more deeper, some of the deeper layers we get into, at times we we dismiss the hit making capabilities. I feel that's an additional bag that rappers that are able to capitalize on or producers, it it really does elevate them. Not only are you able to make hardcore joints, deep cuts, but you also to make, are you also able to do the diamonds, the multi-platinums? Awesome. Awesome. And some, you know, some, some big hits that we've seen from Metro Boomin. Shouts out to uh, Kids Take Over. Ashan, he collected this. And I just, some of them surprised me. No surprise here. Bad and bougie. Heartless. Mask off. Father stretch my hands. Congratulations. Jump man. Wonderful, right? Wonderful. Shout out Metro Boomin for these big hits. I'm not, it's not going to be every single Metro Boomin track. Some of y'all right now listening to this like, well, what about these? Like, not very, um, you know, lesser known Metro Boomin tracks. We're not here to talk about that for now. We can say that for another episode. But for the hits, these are big. I get the bag. Where you at? And one that I didn't know Metro Boomin helped produce, Child's Play by Drake. I didn't know that. When I, when I seen it, I was just like, what? That's extraordinary. Shout out to Metro. Yo, shout, I, I'm going to hit him up right now. I'm going to give him a comment. Be like, yo, I didn't know. I didn't know you did Child's Play. That's what's up. And to continue some of these more singles, Bounce Back, Ric Flair Drip, FML, Kanye West, Waves, Facts, Diamonds Dancing, Tuesday, I Love McConan, Metro. You was right. Lil Uzi, 2016. Something I hear, for whatever reason, a lot of like basketball YouTubers use this instrumental. It's a hard ass beat. Don't get me wrong. Tunnel Vision, Low Life. Did I say bank bank account? Jump in. Y'all know the deal. Y'all know the deal. (laughs) Yo, with that. So just, you know, when it comes to Metro Boomin, if somebody says, I find him to be the best producer ever, I respect it. You know, we got a a Timbaland people that favor Timbaland, people that favor Pharrell, Dre, Alchemist, whatever it is. I I could respect Metro Boomin being up there. Is he the GOAT? For me, no. But for somebody else, yeah. And I could respect it 100%. And I will definitely go, I promise y'all, we're going to get to a point where I want to have like a Metro Boomin specific segment where we just talk about the albums he's produced, some of the, you know, some of his big hits like we discussed right now. Maybe some even slept on tracks. Maybe some have slept on albums. I will have a Metro Boomin focus episode sooner than later. I've spoken about Metro Boomin and Gucci Mane. Drop Top Wop, mixtape, phenomenal. I, I believe one of the most slept on Metro Boomin produced albums ever, ever. Without going too deep into like, you know, the early 2010s where we'll just have certain people like be big fans of Metro early back then. I'm not going to say his quality wasn't great back then either, but I feel like right now, these past couple of years, Metro really been in his bag, especially with his own albums. But tra- Drop Top Wop with Gucci, that's a Metro album 
I need to I need to see more love from. I'm telling everybody listening to this right now. I need to hear and see more love for Drop Top Wap. With that, Vivid Nectar podcast episode two seven two is done. Thank you guys, Alexander here, and I hope the day it continues to blossom for y'all. Until I catch y'all on Thursday, like we sticking with the schedule. Like I said, mixing's gonna be better. At times, if the audio is a bit different, I have two different, uh, two different studios I do my recording in. My studio is not like not no legitimate, like really big rooms or anything like that. I don't got a mansion with my own studio yet, yet, yet. But I have two different studio setups depending on just where I'm at at the location, because we're trying to record wherever, whenever, wherever, whenever. Y'all dig? How you felt about these topics? Baruto, One Piece, how we feeling about that? How we feeling about Time Skip? Frank Ocean, you forgiving him? You still mad? Lil Wayne, you listen to the mixtapes? You a Wayne fan? I know he makes a song with the mixtapes. I didn't even listen to all of the singles. Drake, you catching him live? I'm not. Metro, your, your greatest producer ever? Is he? Do you prefer Yeet over Cardi? Do you? With that, I'll catch you on the next episode. I'm out.